صباح الخير جود مورنينج دير ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Mate, I'm very well, Nasser. How are you? There's a lot going on in the world, a lot in Palestine and everywhere. How are you? Really well indeed. Um, before we start, it's not too late for you to join us this afternoon, 2pm in Melbourne for a vigil for Mohammed Al-Halabi. Many of you, our listeners will know Mohammed Al-Halabi, who was arrested by Israel some six years ago. He used to be the manager for World Vision in Gaza. He's been imprisoned now for almost six years. He's been cleared by DFAT, by Deloitte, by World Vision of any wrongdoing and misappropriation of money. Sadly, Israel keeps Mohammed Al-Halabi in jail. He's been offered many plea deals where he would have been released. All he had to do was plead guilty. He's refused to plead guilty because he knows what the Israelis actually want to do, and that is to criminalize aid to Gaza and criminalize Palestinians. So join us today, Federation Square at 2pm, Federation Square. Join us there. Make sure you come up and say hello. And now today's guest, live from Palestine, Rula from Al-Haq. Good morning, Rula. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? And thank you for hosting me today. No, it's fantastic, Rula. Thanks so very much for joining us. Now, Rula, why don't you tell us a little bit about Al-Haq? So first of all, Al-Haq means the right in Arabic. But we should say the right as in not in a right-hand turn, but like right as in just. Yes, exactly. The right as in human rights yep. uh, and justice and liberties. So Al-Haq is actually the first human rights organization in the Middle East. And it is definitely the first in Palestine. It was established in 1979. And the reason why it was established is because uh, there were many atrocities that were taking place back then. And there was no any, any type of authority that was taking action or documenting the violations. Al-Haq then thought uh, that it's extremely important to document all the violations because one day we will be able to communicate and we have the duty to communicate these violations into several procedures, whether it's national or international or just simply because of advocacy. And that's exactly what happened. Violations were documented. It kept evolving in the sense of how it is developed, how it is documented, and until today where we reached a documentation that is applicable in courts, which means that it's on very, very high standards of documentation that can actually be admissible at uh, international courts specifically because we do not work with occupying Israeli military courts. Al-Haq documents violations that are committed by any perpetrator, by the way, by any duty bearer. And what does that mean? It means that any authority that should be protecting people and civilians and citizens, if they commit a crime or if they do not protect, 
we will be documenting those violations. So we document violations by the Israeli occupying forces and violations by the Palestinian authorities and violations by the Hamas authorities in Gaza. And then Al-Haq takes actions. We work on advocacy. And what does advocacy mean? Yes, we raise awareness through such podcasts like this one. And also we uh, take action where we can. We usually go to the UN, the EU, states, uh, international tribunals and courts. We write reports that are based on facts from witnesses and affidavits from people on the ground that is then used to do uh, legal analysis according to international laws, uh, human rights principles. So this is mainly what Al-Haq does. We, of course, have few specifics, but this is in general what we do. We'll put a link to the website, which is a fantastic website. I haven't seen Al-Haq, I haven't known much about them. There are Palestine's leading NGO and human rights organization and almost 44 years old. As we were talking before about Hamad al-Halabi and Israel wanting to criminalize everything Palestine and Palestinians in the first instance. And the way to do that is to dismember us through our NGOs. So last year in, in October, Israel designated six Palestinian NGOs as terrorist organizations. Al-Haq, Al-Demir, the Union of Agricultural Work Committees, Defense for Children International Palestine, Bissadin Research and Advocacy Center, and the Union of Palestinian Women's Committees. And we have to say this designation was just off the cuff, offhand. There's been many requests by many countries for substantiation for evidence. None has been offered. How's it been for you since that designation? Well, first of all, it's very important to know that this was not a surprise to us because the shrinking space of civil society uh, has is an ongoing policy that the occupying state of Israel is practicing and has been practicing for so long. What we think is the reason for why now we have been working since 79, so what's, what's different, right? is you know that last year was the initiation of the investigation by the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, the ICC. And for the knowledge of your audience, Al-Haq is very professional to the level where communications from Al-Haq have been sent to the prosecutor that actually led to an opening of an investigation. Al-Haq, along with other organizations, were part of providing the information that the court actually needed to be able to take a decision, uh, such a serious and very important decision when it comes to accountability. So this is one main big issue. This was initiated last year. So this is one reason. The second reason is we work on something called business and human rights. And for those who do not know what that means is that big, huge corporates and even smaller ones do have to abide by human rights principles and international laws. And if they do do businesses with that are complicit with uh, human rights violations, they're gonna have to be held accountable for that. And Al-Haq does a lot of research on those companies, such as, for example, JCB, a company that manufactures bulldozers that are used in demolitions and that are also in demolitions of Palestinian houses in collective punishment reasons or punitive punishment reasons, and also used in the building of the illegal colonial settlements. So for example, such companies are now 
being more and more under the under the investigation of several organizations, among others of Haq. And this is starting to scare those those companies. Uh, so this is another factor of why we think it's also now. The third is unfortunately that uh, we also think that the PA had a, a role in this, in the sense that because we also cover perpetrations of the Palestinian Authority forces, and of course what we've seen after in the in the aftermath of the killing of the activist Nizar Banat, and our work on the ground on on also documenting violations happening then, we do understand that that they are pissed off of our work and uh, it came kind of uh, in a in a very diplomatic way where also the designation came very timely and the fourth is that on the 16th of October and listen to this very carefully we were designated on the 19th on the 16th of October we discovered a mass infiltration operation done by an Israeli company manufacturing spyware software. So we discovered that one of our colleagues have been infiltrated for about a year when we discovered this. And and we immediately started calling around our colleagues, human rights defenders, activists, different organizations working on, on human rights matters, hey, you really need to check your phones and your laptops, let's see what's going on. Now, of course, the the occupying Israeli authorities had earlier said that we do not use these technologies in Palestine or Israel, in brackets. So, and that wasn't true. So we discovered that we have been, there has been a a huge violation into the right of privacy, not only for our workers, but for everyone that we speak to. So if you're not knowledgeable about, about Pegasus, you should you should probably check it out and see what it is. But basically, it's as if the person who is spying on you actually has their phone, your phone in their hands. How did we know about this? Is my colleague came to me and said, hey, I've been, you know, experiencing some weird things on my phone. And then I was like, what kind of weird things? And he said, well, my friend called me and said, hey, I've been trying to call you back and you're not picking up. And he's like, no, I didn't receive any calls from you. And they end up sharing their logs with each other in a screenshot. And that's when they discovered that the logs were different. And that's extremely scary because this means that you can actually infiltrate a call with whoever, you know, and take that as an evidence that you have been in contact or you have been doing this and this and that. And so we ended up calling frontline defenders, which are experts and and pioneers on this. And they did an entire investigation that was examined and confirmed by Citizen Lab, a Citizen Lab, which is a a lab in the University of Toronto that makes such kind of digital security violations, in addition to Amnesty Tech. All these three international organizations actually confirmed that the infiltration is indeed Pegasus. Pegasus, of course, is an NSO Israeli company affiliated software. What are the chances of you finding them guilty and them having to admit to it? Is that a chance? Now, that's that's the interesting part. Usually when these investigators, the experts on, on digital security violations, they could trace back to which what government has ordered this kind of infiltration. In this particular case, they were not able to know which government issued this. Now, another fact that you should also know is that the Minister of Defense or the Minister of War, the Israeli Minister of War, 
he has to agree and approve to the selling of the product to any governmental client. And usually, so far, what we know of is that they're only governmental clients. So if it's sold to Morocco, for example, the Minister of War has to accept it, has to give the approval, which means that, yes, it is a private company, but it is definitely affiliated to the state in the sense that they provide them protection and they also work under the Israeli law jurisdiction. Uh, so we called upon the Special Rapporteur for Right to Privacy to initiate an investigation so that we could actually know which is the government that has ordered this kind of infiltration, although we do have uh, clues to believe that it could be the occupying state of Israel. And it is no coincidence that we were designated only three days after the discovery of this huge infiltration operation. Um, so this is this is one very important fact. And actually, we did follow up on this. And on the 5th of April, there will be uh, one of, of the human rights defenders who is unfortunately now also in administrative detention. And for those who do not know what administrative detention means, it means that you can be arrested, put in jail without any charges and without trial. And this could be extended indefinitely. And this is today the situation of 500 Palestinian political prisoners under administrative detention. But so this one it includes particular children human, too, doesn't it? Yes. So one human rights defender who is working in a, in another uh, organization that also was designated as a terrorist organization uh, was also attacked by NSO. And he, he was infiltrated through his phone. He decided, because he has a dual citizenship, he decided to sue NSO. And he's doing that through FIDH, the federal the Federalia in, in France, uh, the Federation of Human Rights. And they are going to submit the complaint on the 5th of April. We think this is huge. And we encourage people and human rights defenders in Australia and otherwhere and elsewhere to uh, to pursue such uh, such investigations, if they if they ever uh, suspect that they could be violated through such uh, softwares, and to actually take action uh, through legal legal procedures and legal legal channels. But anyway, so this is the fourth reason why we think we were designated uh, last year. What it means, and back to your question, I'm very sorry for the lengthy explanation. I hope your audience are still with us. Uh, but what does it mean? Yes, it means that we could be arrested at any second because what we are doing is according to the occupying military order is uh, an act of terror. And we our offices could be raided anytime. Our equipment and files and archives could be confiscated. And most importantly, and again, why I told you this is important to know that this is not new, the main reason we think they did this also is to, to intimidate our partners and donors. And once they do that, this will mean that gradually we, we will not be able to continue our work. So they could control any transfers coming to our bank accounts which will unfortunately lead to um, the closure of the organization. So what we think is that they are after you, they're after states, they're after donors, 
and those donors that are that have been working to promote human rights and, and democracy as they claim uh, all over the world. So it is very, very, very dangerous to have such a precedent. We call for the rescinding of the of the decision and not just because some countries are telling us, yeah, but now it's not, they're not implementing anything. So what's the problem? We say no, it is a problem because this is this will be setting a precedent if they if the one, the most biggest organization uh, working for human rights and the oldest is designated as a terrorist organization, what do we do with the other organizations? What, hap- what kind of message are we giving any other oppressive regimes around the world that would just want to silence any organization? They go like, yeah, it worked for the occupying state. Why wouldn't it work for us? And voila, we'll see a domino effect that is happening all over the world. So it is very, very dangerous in that sense. And we are working on, on calling, it is not enough, especially now that we're seeing how the double standards are increasing in the world in relation to the war on Ukraine and how suddenly all types of sanctions and banning and uh, boycotts are called upon by the Western countries to actually do that against Russia. Uh, And it has never been the case for, for the Palestinians. Once we call for sanctions and we call for boycotts and we call for accountability, we are accused of being anti-Semites, despite the very ironic fact that we ourselves are Semites as well. So it's such a, a, a rhetoric that we are actually extremely sick of. I mean, can you please stop with that? Human rights violations and apartheid is something now that is very, very, very common. I mean, if the UN says it's an apartheid, if Israeli civil society organization says it's apartheid, Palestinian civil society organization says the same thing, and some countries are also thinking of saying the same thing, and you still say it's not, I think we really need to get out of our our rigid... The the colonial framework, that, that, that colonial white power supremacy mindset that sees you know, Israel is white and deserving of being cared for. And we should just touch on it, that NSO Pegasus, if you trace the sales of NSO Pegasus throughout the world, they were very much sold just after Netanyahu had visited countries. So he was acting as a roving salesman for this stuff for repressive regimes everywhere. With respect to the ICC, the work you did with helping the ICC get to the point where after almost five years, A, they accepted that Palestine was a signatory to the Rome Statute, that the ICC had jurisdiction, and that there was prima facie evidence that war crimes had been committed. Now, that took Fatur Ben Suda almost five years to do. Suddenly, out of nowhere, we've been able to get uh, the new ICC prosecutor, Karim Khan, in hours almost, it seems, to decide that there's war crimes and the ICC should immediately be investigating in the Ukraine. Can you speak to that hypocrisy? How does it make you feel... That gives us a very clear indication that it is all politicized and that's extremely dangerous because when we work as lawyers and we use legal frameworks, that's because we are not politicians. When we choose to take uh, laws that some of them are customary law, which means that they are non-derogative, it means that this is a law that should be respected by all states and by all international tribunals. I mean, of course, we are seeing 
the world becoming extremely politicized. Uh, and this is very, very dangerous. And this is also, by the way, I mean, the designation is not one is not a legal one. The designation is a political decision. It's a political decision taken by the Minister of War to actually execute civil society, not to shrink the space of civil society. They want to terminate the existence of the civil society. So what Karim Khan, the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court did, I mean, we would love to see such an efficiency in, in the courts. We definitely would do that. And, you know, when things are pretty clear cut, but this is not how laws and courts are working. And so it is very important for us to get insurances that the court can never be politicized and that it is and it will remain the main and the biggest and the strongest accountability uh, mechanism that is out there. This is why it was actually established. So how does it make me feel? I think we do, we are angry. However, I think because we have been working uh, with international mechanisms and we have been seeing the, politi the politi politicization of the situation, uh, we're not very, very surprised. And if we wanna look at the bright side, this is good in the sense that, yes, we have all been saying we are against aggressions. We are against the targeting of civilians. We are against the big atrocities and we are against not holding states and officials and commanders accountable for the, for the uh, alleged war crimes that they could have uh, committed. So this is great. So now it is established very, very clearly. And it is there's almost a consensus by all countries that this is the situation. So I find it a bit difficult now that when we argue for our situation uh, and the, the enormous atrocities that have been ongoing, that someone would come to you and say, well, no, these are not, and you're not allowed to think that way. And these are not civilians, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we should take advantage of this change of the discourse and we should be uh, even, we, sh we should raise our threshold in, in what are the demands. If you managed to uh, accept, let's say cultural and sport boycott uh, when it comes to Russian sport uh, players and you don't think that's a political decision, then this should also be the same when it comes to uh, Israeli, Israeli athletes, for example. That's just an example. So of course it is very, um, we're very angry to see that happening. And we're also very angry of the rhetorics of actually being discriminatory on human rights. I mean, that's that we've never seen that. So you can't pick and choose on who are the people that deserve to have protected human rights and who mm. are not. And this is where we are today. And I think it's also important to show Europe and the Western, uh, you know, that created the entire theory of colonialism and, and implemented it, that wait a second here, you want to go around the world claiming that you are the messengers of human rights and democracy, while you yourselves are discriminatory in applying those. How are you going to deal with this? And why do you think that countries will still accept any of what you're saying? Um, so we are in a, in a very difficult situation when it comes to 
how deceived and betrayed we feel. Uh, and then, but again, I think we we should be using this. And I think I'm 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 kind of happy to see that because this is this should be the course of action. Yeah, if there is aggression and there is civilians that are losing their lives and children, women, etc., they should be held accountable. It has actually created space for us tomorrow. The Palestinian call for BDS is very, very targeted. It's specific to companies, entities, institutions that are complicit in the deprivation of human rights, the occupation, uh, the denial of rights uh, of the Palestinians to return, etc., etc., etc. Whereas what we're seeing with respect to Russia is almost the Iraq system. And the Iraq system of sanctions hurts the people. It ends up with half a million children dying and Madeleine Albright saying a necessary cost, the, the spread of democracy through the Arab world and what, what's happened since, uh, since that happened. The good news is she's joined Ariel Sharon and all those other war criminals in hell. The Palestinian call is, is very, very targeted. With respect to the call for BDS, you know, now we've seen that space with Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the UN, Harvard Law School saying so. I mean, we're, we're creating a space now. We haven't been here before with this much support, documentation, now available space for this to be start talking about it. Well, again, yeah, exactly. So um, I think it, we should be able to push the limits. And yes, this is a colonial regime that has several frameworks under underneath it. So we should be thinking about this as the, it's an Israeli colonization, right? Under it, there are different frameworks that are applicable, whether it's a crime or it's a system such as apartheid. So apartheid is one, one framework. Occupation is another framework. Um, colonial settlements is another framework. Uh, international material law is another. So unfortunately, all of these frameworks are present in Palestine. And, and we, we, we could be using all of these frameworks to fight against colonialism and to fight against occupation and to fight against apartheid. And of course, I mean, the, the more people are aware and the more people understand and support and start acting, uh, the, the quicker we will be able to reach uh, a just solution uh, of, the, of the cause. So it is, it is very important that we're seeing that. And I, I definitely would encourage, I mean, Australia is one of the countries where unfortunately there is no such thing as let's look at the just side. Mm -mm. There is such thing as the Palestinian and the Israeli side, which I actually... I dislike uh, very much to, to talk about Palestine as a side. You can never do that. There's, not, there's no parity you, with, with, with occupation exactly. and occupied. Exactly. And, that, and we're not seeing that in Ukraine today, for example. We're not saying, oh, I'm not going to take sides. But not taking a side is actually taking a side. Uh, you are choosing to be silent and you're choosing that since this is away from me, I'm, I'm okay with it happening. But if you, if you will remain okay with atrocities happening around the world, one day it will also be happening uh, around you and, and, and you wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So I think it's for in the interest of everyone to, to call on accountability, accountability, accountability. We 
should be using all these uh, legal uh, channels and uh, of course any channels that would lead to, to freedom and justice because this is exactly the principles that we all would like to live uh, would like to live in so so yes I think it's a good opportunity yes it is frustrating that we're seeing it now unfortunately it shows uh, the reality of the um, of the discrimination based on on color of your skin and how if you are lighter you have more rights and justice should be applied on you and if you're a bit darker then ah, maybe it's not very important today yeah. so, uh, so Europeans, really... they have netflix you know this is not like syria <laughs> anyway yeah, that was amazing to hear that but it's good that we hear it because that's exactly the mentality now it's coming out and now when it's out, you, we can stop saying, oh, no, we're being too harsh. That's not true. No, but they actually, they are. This is the rhetoric that has been, been used. And, it's, and, and we should be helping these countries to understand their problems and helping them to solve the, uh, this, the racist mentality, to be honest. Fantastic. Rolo, that's a fantastic way for us to end the show. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, join us at two o'clock today at Federation Square. We're having a vigil for Mohammed Al-Halabi, uh, who's been arrested for almost six years now, his fifth birthday, sixth birthday, excuse me, in jail. Join us at 2 p.m. Federation Square. Rula from Al-Haq, thank you so very much for joining us. You're fantastic. We'll put a link to the website, to your website in our podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon, But and hopefully soon we will have boycotts, divestments and sanctions against the apartheid state of Israel. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, I do encourage your audience to check our website for information and also calls for action. That was Rula from Al-Haq. Join us at 2pm Federation Square. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.